want to start out this morning talking about the rise and the fall of the American front porch. How many people here have a front porch? All right, fair amount. How many sit on it every night? Do you shuck your corn as you sit on your front porch? That's like the right idea we think of the front porch. In 2017, uh, 2007, in Ithaca, New York, a group of friends decided to host a bit of an impromptu music festival on the front porch of their historic home. And since then, hundreds of cities have thrown their own versions of Porch Fest. 2017, there were over 100 Porch Fests, uh, festivals across the United States. Um, we, on this block, not officially one of them, uh, but if you've been here on Halloween, you know the neighbors who have a big front porch play live music all night. And over the years, hundreds of people have started descending on this block for Halloween night. But the idea of the front porch, it taps into a feature of American architecture uh, that has been all but lost uh, in our culture and in modern home building, uh, the front porch. It's, uh, it could be said that a history of American homes is a history of American life. And for nearly 100 years, from the decades preceding the Civil War to just after World War II, the front porch was a hallmark in American houses. And the front porch, uh, kind of like a cultural symbol. It represented the cultural ideas of our nation. But following World War II, the front porch began to decline in popularity. And so those spacious front porches in front of the house where families would gather and talk and watch and converse and talk with passing by neighbors kind of became a relic of a bygone era. Now, it's kind of cool to see a return of front porches in some architecture now. Uh, but by the 1960s, the front porch had just about disappeared in the new architectural forms of houses that were sweeping across this country. Uh, technological forces, cultural forces pushed front porches to side porches, side yards, or back porches. And um, just many eliminated them altogether. So American society had changed. And with this change, the front porch no longer stood as like a cultural symbol. But few Americans noticed the change. It kind of happened. Uh, the front porch just kind of disappeared. Now, we are in this series called Waging Peace. And today we're talking about the first two aspects of being an everyday peacemaker. We pull these from the book Mending the Divides. Uh, creative love in a conflicted world is the subtitle. And they just talk about fourfold method of waging peace. The first two things that we'll talk about today, see and immerse. If we are to mend the divide, whether that's interpersonally, in our homes, nationally, internationally. First, we must, as followers of Christ, learn to see. And then we must take time and courage to immerse ourselves. And when you think about the front porch, 
you think about the fact that we are swimming in a world that has made seeing and immersing very difficult. We have become very isolated from our neighbors, both literally and figuratively. We no longer see our neighbors while sitting on the front porch. Uh, and we have just lost those natural opportunities to see and then immerse in one another's lives. So the first part of waging peace is seeing. Seeing differently. To see as God sees. To see as God sees. You know, when you think about... Um, like, how can you tell what someone loves? One of the ways you can tell what someone loves is by what happens when the thing that they love is violated or threatened. So, just for example, if you are in a relationship with someone who loves logic, and you say, in passing, while telling a story, my head literally exploded. That person who loves logic is probably not going to love that. I mean, your head did not literally explode. Or if you are in relationship with someone who loves order, and you load your dishwasher like I load my dishwasher, they're probably going to reload the dishwasher, right? Like order. It's like some elbow is like, yeah, that's totally you happening in this room right now. For some people, like they love their car. And if they get a ding or a scratch or a dent, you can tell what someone loves by watching what happens when what they love gets violated. So to see as God sees is, first of all, beginning by asking ourselves the question, what does God love? It seems what God values more than any other thing in all creation is human beings. And when a human being is mistreated, it deeply offends the creator. We read in Proverbs 6 these words. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That is why to sow discord, to build walls and create divides, is to wound God's dream of shalom. When you or I judge someone, use someone, belittle someone, abuse a spouse, betray a friend, engage in human trafficking, ridicule a person with a disability, or just live in a world where these things happen all the time, but become immune become callous, become so self-focused I don't really even care or notice anymore. It wounds God's dream of shalom. It deeply offends the creator. 
So becoming everyday peacemakers begins with learning to see and immerse. To see as God sees. And to do that, we need new sight. Because often we don't even see. We don't have the eyes to see as God sees. In the Gospels, we read a story uh, about a guy who needed sight. And Jesus gave it to him. In Mark 10, we read this story. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Bartimaeus asked for sight, and he received it. Waging peace begins with receiving new sight. Whether it's a conflict with a spouse where peace is needed, or with a friend, or nationally, or internationally, it begins when we see the other as God sees them. So just some practical tips for receiving sight. Number one, like Bartimaeus, we ask for it. Like all good things in our life with God, desire is really where it begins. And sometimes we don't have the desire, so we pray for the desire. We say, God, I don't even have the desire to see. Would you give me a desire to see? We ask for sight. And then when we have a little bit of sight, we've noticed, we lament because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And if you and I aren't in touch with that reality, we're probably not paying attention. So we lament the brokenness in our lives and in our world. And then we repent. We repent of the part that we play in the brokenness that we have not loved as you love, God. That we have not, even when we've loved, we've loved with strings attached. So we repent for our selfishness, and then we learn. We learn all we can about the need for peace around us, and we look at what is right in front of us. If only we'd put down our phones. Often it's right here. And we seek to enter into relationships with our neighbors, both near and far. Do you know what this is, seeing and immersing? Do you know what this is, waging peace? This is living by the golden rule. 
One time Jesus said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is like spiritual formation for everybody. And this can keep us focused all day, every day, all life long. Doing to others what you would have them do to you. So that means like when you encounter the homeless person, you ask yourself, if I was homeless, how would I want to be treated? When you're crafting that email, you think to yourself, if I was on the receiving end of this email I am crafting, how would I want to hear this message, these words? If you're in the middle of a conflict at home, you ask yourself, how would I want to be treated in the middle of this fight? Jesus is this masterful teacher because the golden rule makes you the agent, not the victim. And you can daily take agency of your life by learning to live by the golden rule. To see the other and not just yourself. To immerse yourself in the other, not just your own agenda. And here is the thing about seeing, about immersing, about living our lives by the golden rule, you can do it anywhere. You can do it anytime. You can uh, use this like with people that you like. You can use it with people you don't like. You can use it when you're texting. You can use it when you're driving. You could use it when you're texting and driving, <laughs> except that if you're living by the golden rule, you won't be texting and driving. <laughs> and that part of the message brought to you by CDOT, Thank you. No, but you can use it across cultural divides, across educational divides, across socioeconomic divides, across generational divides. Doing unto other, seeing, immersing. You can use it with folks who don't agree with you or look like you or even like you. Martin Luther said this about the golden rule. It was certainly clever of Christ to state it this way. The only example he sets up is ourselves. It's so clear that you don't need glasses to understand Moses and the law. Thus, you are your own Bible, your own teacher, your own theologian, your own preacher. Jesus is like, you want to sum up the law and the prophets? You want a summary of everything God has been teaching throughout time? Here it is. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So with every person I encounter, they are on par with me. I am not powering up, and I don't view myself as lesser. They are not a thing to be used. They are not a means to an end. They have wishes hopes, and dreams, just like me. I get out of myself and I try to imagine what is it like to be the other person? It's like the golden rule is this living thing if we'll let it live in us. 
Jesus is saying, live this way, practice this. Like, like all the great teachings of Jesus, it's not something we know up here. It's something we practice. And it is how we move from an ego-centered life into a life of love. It's a call, really, to the spiritual practice of encountering the other, not just avoidance of the other, encountering the other. Jesus does not say, do unto those who look like you, or think like you, or agree with you. In fact, he uses the word anthropos, which is where we get the word anthropology. In other words, like, use it on all humanity. Use it on your friends. Use it on your enemies. So in Jesus' day, if I was a leper, I would want to be touched. But nobody touched lepers. But Jesus saw, and Jesus touched. And like if I was a little child in Jesus' day, I would want to be noticed. But no rabbi noticed children. They were as low as low in that society. But Jesus saw and said, let the little children come to me. If I was a prostitute in Jesus' day, I would want to be treated with dignity. But no rabbi did that. But Jesus saw the woman caught in adultery, showed her dignity. Nobody else did that. If I was a thief hanging on a cross, I would want to be forgiven. But nobody did that. But Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus saw and immersed. He lived a golden rule life, and then he died a golden rule sort of death, and then he started a golden rule community. This is what he did. And we so often just make things so incredibly complicated in our lives. Like we wonder, oh, what should I be doing with my life? Should I be doing this or that? Or did I miss it? Or, oh, if I would have taken that opportunity? Or, oh, what if, you know, I'm missing out on my calling? We make it so complicated. Jesus just says, like, live the golden rule. And no life that lives the golden rule will be wasted or misspent no matter how unimpressive it looks by human standards. And on the flip side, no life that violates the golden rule will be well spent, no matter how impressive it looks. George Fox said it this way, walk joyfully on the earth and respond to that of God in every human being. Once we see As God sees, we move into action. We can't wage peace from the outside. We must immerse ourselves into the stories of people that we now see. And it's interesting because all of the great ancient 
literature, all of the great wisdom traditions of the world, all seem to recognize that the main thing standing in the way, the main impediment to living a life of meaning is self-absorption. They all say that in different ways. The wisdom of the Desert Fathers says the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love the neighbor as thyself. To encounter another human being, not as someone I can convince or control or fix or help or save or use or even change, but simply to encounter another human being as someone who can spring me from the prison of my own self-absorption, if I will allow it, and someone for whom I can see God. To see that other person, even for a moment, is part of what it means to die to self. Because for that moment of encounter, I'm not thinking about me. I'm actually thinking about them. And that's a little death to the ego. And that is a part of dying to self and living in Christ. It's frightening and it's liberating all at the same time. You could say it might be the only real spiritual discipline there is. Sum up all the law and the prophets, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Here's what I mean. The, just at its most basic level, seeing and immersing, living by the golden rule, is encountering the other uh, just in the daily practice of coming face to face with another human being and preferably someone who is like a capital O other to you. And then encountering them and at least entertaining the possibility in your mind that this is one of the faces of God. And it's interesting because the spiritual practice of seeing, immersing, living by the golden rule, encountering the other, it requires no training. It requires no money. It requires no special talent. It can be done by anyone, anywhere who resolves to do it. So a good way for us to just warm up to this this week, if you want to give it a little try, is to focus on someone who you tend to just breeze past and not notice. Maybe someone doing a mundane service, like taking your order, handing you your change. So like this week, when you are at the grocery store, try engaging the cashier. And you don't have to get weird about it. You don't have to, like, invite them home for lunch or anything. Just look at her face when she's pulling out that laminated sheet trying to find the code for asparagus. And notice that here is a person who exists outside of ringing up your groceries. She might be someone's mother. She's someone's daughter. She lives in a home somewhere with a kitchen that smells with whatever she cooked last night and a bed where she lays her head and wrestles with her own angels and demons some nights. 
Here is a person, a human being, made in the image of God. That's all it takes. She might not even notice that you are doing this, but it's the practice of encountering the other that begins to change you. She may not even know that you're simply noticing and you are reminding yourself and her by looking her in the eye that she is seen not as the cashier, but as the person, the human being. And it's interesting because as simple as that little activity is, immediately what happens in most of us is a bunch of objections and excuses rise up. Like, seriously, Susie, see an encounter. Do you know how many things I have to do before 4 p.m. when I pick up my kids? I don't have time for seeing. I don't have time for encountering the other. I'm busy. That is why I prefer to order on Amazon. There are these roadblocks in us to immersion, busyness and overcommitment, image management and investment in personal reputation, fear. How long is this going to take? I don't have that kind of time. And this is such a predictable human response that Jesus spoke directly to it. Jesus said in Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you? and immerse like who has time for that and yet god knows this simple practice is the very thing that can unlock us from our prison of our own self-absorption and wage peace in the world it's the beginning of becoming an everyday peacemaker And Jesus taught the practice of seeing and immersing. He taught it not only by what he said, but by how he lived. And when you read about Jesus, you see that his teaching, it's not limited to people who looked like him or acted or thought like he thought. He does that same eye-to-eye thing, that same encountering the other with Roman centurions and Samaritan lepers Phoenician women, hostile Judeans, and he does it with his Galilean disciples. He encounters a 12-year-old girl and rulers. He encounters people who could be useful to him and people who would never be useful to him. According to Jonathan Sachs, a rabbi of Great Britain, um, he says this, the Hebrew Bible in one verse commands, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but in no fewer than 36 places commands us to love the stranger. That's why the practice of encountering the other, seeing and immersing, is best practice with whoever you might consider other in your life. Why would we do this? 
Number one, because we have been strangers ourselves. And number two, because loving the stranger shows you God. Rabbi Sachs says this as well. The supreme religious challenge is to see God's image in one who is not in our image. Because that's when we get beyond our personal reflection, ourselves, and the God we have created, who may not really be God, we get to see, like, God created this human being. This human being is made in the image of God. So just practically speaking, what are some things we can just, strategies for immersion? We can sit on the front porch, front lawn, identify who you would call the other, invite a neighbor for dinner, adopt your child's school. Or you could just ask yourself, who is it that you think Christ might be inviting you to see as God sees? How might Christ be inviting you to immerse yourself into the life of a neighbor, a neighbor near or far? It's a great little sentence in the book of Acts talking about the life of Jesus. It just simply says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good. He went around doing good. And I love that, because let me ask you this. How much money do you need to go around doing good? Or how much education do you need? How many degrees do you need to go around doing good? How vast does your net worth have to be to go around doing good? Anyone can do this anywhere any time. What does it mean to go around doing good? You do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. You see and immerse. Where do you do it? Wherever you are. When do you do it? Every day. How do you do that? Moment by moment. Day by day. With Jesus' help knowing that you hold the hand of the one whose love for you has no limits. We see and we immerse. And that is the beginning of waging peace. And for the next two, you have to come back next week. So <laughs> let's pray together as we close. God, would you give us sight we do not see as you see. Forgive us our self-absorption. Wash the mud from our eyes and give us sight. Renew our way of thinking, God, so that we are more aware of treating others the way we would want to be treated. And forgive us for the times we've selfishly done what we wanted instead of what would have been best for another. Give us a new perspective, God, so that we can glorify you and spread your love in our homes, neighborhoods, and in this world. And God, we thank you for living, for dying. We thank you that we can live in union with you now, 
and for all eternity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And everybody who agreed said, Amen. Amen.